everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. And here we are. Welcome to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. As mentioned in the intro, uh, very, very happy to uh, be having another great show. One of the things I loved about doing the podcast is being able to think of, you know, what are the conversations that I have all the time and, and ones that sometimes subject matter that we hit repeatedly, you know, in, in folks that I talk to in the community and in, in, my, in my peer group and, you know, founders and, and, and people all over the place. And there's kind of a, a lot of stuff we see in the industry as we kind of progress. And today, I've got somebody with me who we're going to dive into a neat thing. It's uh, super fun called imposter syndrome, uh, but much more than that. Uh, and I'm, if you don't already know Conrad, Conrad is one of my guys from the community, you know, in the, you know, the VMware and virtualization community. We've known each other for quite a while. Uh, uh, somebody who I, I love, you know, for, for what he does for feeding back, really sharing stuff out. Uh, and just all around good dude. So with that, I'm going to welcome Conrad Ramos. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us where we can find you online and we're going to get rolling. Sure. Uh, my name is Conrad Ramos. You can normally find me on Twitter at vnoob.com, V-N-O-O-B. Um, I'm a solutions engineer at a company called GCSIT out of the Northwest. And I always love the vnoob. You've, you've long outlived the noob. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a funny thing because when I first started the the blog and VNoob and the whole thing, um, it was kind of purposeful that I chose that. You know, yes, at the time I was very new and there were a lot of things I didn't know, but I also thought that in in some aspects I would almost always be learning and always be you know a noob, so to speak, in in one way or another. So I think it still kind of fits. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's really it's apropos to kind of what we talked about. If you think of you know all of us in our career, you, there's always something new for you, and and also the thing that we do, you know, that we maybe get particularly good at, and you share it out, especially as a blogger and a writer. I find that I gotta make sure I always think of. You know, there's always a freshman class. There's always somebody else who's <laughs> brand new to this thing. So even if it's you know, like you share a lot of your certification you know, process and and stuff you're you're doing along the way, and and I've. I've had people say that before. They're like, well, why would you do that? Because you're done. But like, why are you writing it down? I'm like, because somebody else isn't done and they need guidance and help. And maybe this, if it worked for me, then, then maybe it works for somebody else, right? No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, there is always, as you said, someone learning, someone coming behind you who can learn from the things that you've done. I also think from the other side of things that for me, it, it helps me almost learn things better when I turn around and then try to teach it in some aspect, because then I feel like I need to know just a little bit more so I can, you know, uh, cover everything as much as it needs to be covered in order for someone to learn it uh, appropriately, I guess. It, it, the, the talent of a good writer, which you are, you know, and, and a good storyteller, which you do very well. That's, that's, those are the people that I find that are particularly successful in, in helping to kind of bring up other folks through these journeys 
And it's, it's tough because sometimes I look around like I'm doing a lot more development related stuff lately. And, and I've done it throughout my career. But when I go out there and find these resources, it's the, like the famous picture, you know, the, the, the how to draw an owl thing. If you've ever seen this, it says like how to draw an owl. First, draw a few circles. Next, finish the owl. And, like that's, <laughs> and they show this beautiful, like it, it's like a perfect lifelike drawing. And like, so it's just like two circles. There it is. Like, but like, there's a lot of stuff missing in the middle. I <laughs> and, and I find this, like if we, people have what we call the curse of knowledge which is the assumption that the people you're talking to are already at or near your level. So you kind of like blast by stuff and you just like, I assume like I'm going to say that you're going to go right to, you know, virtual networking across multi-cloud environments. You're like, <laughs> Oh, hang on a second. Sorry. What's networking? Like, like, right. what do you mean? like there's, there's stuff that we say just because we get surrounded by people that are with us, you know, or like the, there's an assumption of, of knowledge. Did, do you did you start out thinking that way as you kind of created content or did it just kind of you figured it out as you looked at what people read and what people gave you feedback on you know i think for me personally in terms of what i used for content on my blog because i was still you know new to the space and to the community i don't think that i really had the assumption of knowledge uh, I was more so like, oh man, this took me forever to figure out. I'm going to just, you know, toss this out there. If one person comes upon it and it helps them in some way, shape or form. Awesome. You know, there wasn't for me, like I had, uh, I wasn't assuming everyone was at my level because my level in my brain was zero. So I was <laughs> assuming that, you know, everyone else was at least some level above me. And so, you know, I was just hoping that by sharing out these little tidbits of things that, you know, I had an issue with or I found interesting that, you know, it would help hopefully one or two people out there. If you, if you, I've talked to a lot of folks recently, like who are, I've kind of chased this founders idea, like what, what makes somebody a powerful, you know, force in, in being able to found a company or a product or a project or an idea. And it's neat to see and, and almost every time you kind of hit what it was, right? You had a specific problem, you discovered a solution for it, you wrote it down, and, and it turns out that you aren't the only one that had that problem. And if you kind of like chased that further and said, I'm going to keep going down this path now that I know that this has gotten a lot of uptake, then, hey, let's keep rolling. And then you kind of purposefully create the next problem. Like you kind of seek out what you could bump into next and it's neat to see the progression of, of bloggers and, and content creators as they move from, hey, I just had this weird error and this is how I fixed it. Yeah. And, and then going to like, so I'm thinking about doing, you know, cloud certifications and this is what I'm going to do for the next four months. It's a big difference in how you approach the way you write it though, right? It really is. And, you know, for me, the other choice for, for picking out content is, you know, yes, stuff that I have done that people seem to have positive feedback about, but it's also the things that I have found on other people's sites that I really took a lot of value in. So, you know, some of the most recent things I've done on my blog is sort of, I did, you know, a study guide for the, the latest Horizon View uh, VCP certification, because I know that when I have been studying for other certifications, other people and content creators study guides have helped me 
so much and it's you know really cut down on the amount of time I've needed to study it and all those other great things that you know when I started down my path of my certification for the newest horizon cert I I just couldn't find anything and so you know in my mind I'm like I'm going to do this I'm going to put this out there you know it's going to be extra time on my end obviously but I think it would be valuable for others out there in the community and as a consumer of said content, even though I'm not even going for the cert, it is very helpful. It helped me to kind of revisit, you know, here's here's where the state of, of this platform is and, and relative to where I, I kind of bumped into it a few years ago. Yeah, so it's, it's it's so difficult to to keep up with everything in our industry. It is it's it's insane the, the half life or the period of time that you know someone is an expert in something or even can be an expert in something right now in IT is just feels like it's shrinking and dwindling each and every day it's just incredible well it's funny i i'm looking at you know i'm doing aws certifications and and that's probably one of the more profound examples of you know life comes at you fast right by the time you figure it out the next year they have to invalidate your cert your cert because the whole world has shifted that you know the services are different and and they're they they look fundamentally different in the ui the user experience has changed the the yeah. way you talk about you know how many nines does the service have it may have a different set of you know criteria in six to eight months and you know if it, we you know we can even take a you know one step back further than that i know that when i first you know started my journey or my big big boy professional career in it you know and started working with vmware you know the latest flavor of vmware that was out at that time was like esxi and vcenter like 4.0 and when i look back on it you know looking at what was happening in the data center you know, in terms of all the different technologies, it seemed like really the only thing happening was, you know, the standard traditional infrastructure, you know, network storage, et cetera, and then server virtualization. And it seemed like that was more or less it. Of course, there were, you know, some fringe and edge cases here and there, but that seemed to be more or less it. But when you look at what the data center looks like today, oh my God, you have, you know, obviously server virtualization, network virtualization, storage virtualization, containers, uh, you know, hybrid and public cloud, which is exactly the same as everything you would have on-prem, but completely different, all in the same aspect. It's just, it's crazy how much there is to know and how impossible it is to know all of it. Yeah, and and the good news is, great if you're sharing content and, and creating content. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Never out <Yes>. of sub- <laughs> Now, when I think of the, the other fun part, right, and we we call this, it's, it's well known, it's called imposter syndrome. And, uh, and my, my joke, and I tell people about imposter syndrome, is that I said, I thought I had imposter syndrome, but I don't know if I'm good enough to have it. That, right. <laughs> that's pretty much the way I would describe it. It's where you reach a point where you've, especially when you, you're very vocal and you're very out in front of, of people, communities, and you, know, you speak or you teach, you kind of get this, this feeling, you're like, oh, I don't know, like, am I right? Am I doing the right thing? Like, do I have the, do I have the right to share my stuff as a quote unquote expert? You know, right. and there's this sort of questioning thing and it can really take you off your game. And I, you know, I always say I, you become more comfortable at it 
but it never really goes away. And, and uh, you've, you've, you and I have talked about this before, you know, imposter syndrome, how has it, how's it affected you and, and, and your folks that you know, and, and what do you think that you can do and what can we do to kind of help get, get past it? Oh my God. Yeah. It's it. And there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but you know, I think I just want to take a step back because I think uh, you right there did the assumption of knowledge thing and that everyone maybe understands what imposter syndrome is. Um, Even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is, um, you know, this feeling of that despite, you know, whatever accomplishments you ha have or that whatever, you know, accolades you're being given by colleagues or, you know, bosses at work or spouses or, you know, friends or whoever, that there is this sort of internalized fear that you either don't deserve it or that you might be exposed as a fraud or, you know, all of those other different feelings of insecurity that one could have. Um, so for those of us, you know, out there who maybe have not heard that term before, that's sort of the, the basis of what imposter syndrome kind of is um and that's the interesting thing actually as well is it's not even just completely self <clears throat> induced it's there's a even when you're getting positive feedback from folks you can still kind of question like or were they really do they really mean that do they just say it because they wanted to give me a pat on the back so i wouldn't cry like i don't i don't know what it, <laughs> i don't know what that means and it becomes this weird sort of self-fulfilling tunnel of of weirdness you go down you're like ah was that did i deserve that feedback and it's kind of funny because you've gotten it but yet you used yeah. kind of built to question it yeah and you know i think the other one too is that you know sometimes when you do get that positive feedback you can almost feel like you were like lucky in a way or that from you know whatever you did to receive said positive feedback or accolade that you didn't do anything different than anyone else has been doing. So why, you know, are you receiving this thing? Yeah. It's sort of this, as you said, it's sort of this weird kind of spiral that in some ways I think can be uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, to, to talk about my experience though with it, you know, I think my experience first started when I moved from the customer side uh, a few years ago to the sort of the partner or the VAR side of things in the industry because, you know, working on the customer side, you sort of like have your own little kingdom of what your infrastructure is and said infrastructure doesn't really change that often. You know, all the moving parts of everything that's happening in that infrastructure. So you can sort of like rule over your little kingdom and nothing really changes and you can be the expert at it and you can know that you are sort of the definitive expert of, of your realm. But then once I moved to, you know, the VAR, the partner side, there was sort of this, you know, realization that, oh, I'm no longer sort of the, the little king of my own little realm here of infrastructure. I need to be an expert and knowledgeable in whatever kind of infrastructure anyone else might have that I'm gonna to talk to. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> It's a big jump and, and it's funny because the very thing that got you the recognition and the kind of self 
recognition that you're ready for that next phase that you've like, Hey, I've done this very well in this one situation. And so you go and you, you have a, a relative confidence going to like, I can do this for more than one environment. And then you get through, you interview, you get this gig and then there you are in your first new environment talking to other people who you know are now what you were, you know, three weeks ago, they're right. the experts in their little, their little domain. And you're now coming in cold and effectively having to immediately be this, this sort of expert. And you're like, you start to think of like, what would I have done if somebody came in and told me like, well, you should do this. You'd be like, no way, dude. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's a very, it's a very interesting thing. The role reversal. And then, like you said, it's all of a sudden you're like, it's a small fish, you know, big fish, small pond to small fish, big pond. It's a, it's a different feeling. Yeah. And there's the expectation you place on yourself that, you know, you need to be able, you know, because you were coming in trying to help a client, a customer of yours, you feel the need that you have to answer or be able to answer any question they throw at you. And you know, again, that is sort of a, a daunting task because who knows what they're going to ask. And then, you know, there's the fear that if they ask something you don't know, well, then maybe that could negatively affect uh, their perception of you in some way, or even their perception of your business. And, you know, maybe the kinds of experts that your business sends out to customers. And it becomes the, uh, here's a, a situation, uh, let me, let me pose this to you and see if this makes sense to you. What I found was the most powerful thing was you start off, you kind of like, you want to tell, you want to be like, er, er, here's the things I've done. And here's what, what gives me the right to be here to, you know, very quickly over a couple of engagements of dealing with new environments and new groups and new communities and such that you, the first thing you do is to say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Conrad. Um, so what do you, what, what does your business do? Like, what do you guys do on a, what's kind of, what's kind of got you lately? Like, what are things that bug you, you know? And you immediately go into question, you know, asking, and it's like, let's collegially have this conversation about what are the challenges you face. And as they're talking about that, you can then say, oh, that's true. Yeah. I, I bumped into that before. And it becomes, instead of you walking in going, so I've done all these things and I know how to do this. And I've been familiar with these kind of things before. I, I just found that the first couple of times I had to do it, we go in talking and then very quickly you go in you know, they always say you've got two, two ears and, and one mouth for a reason, right? You should use one more than the other. <laughs> uh, yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And I agree with your statement too, that, you know, when you go into an engagement, um, a client engagement, building that rapport through talking, through listening, I think does alleviate the, the stress that, you know, something irrationally terrible could happen if you know you can't uh meet all of your own ridiculous expectations of yourself uh in in the meeting so yeah having that sort of friendly rapport does make things better because then you know when you establish i don't want to say a friendship but when you establish a friendly rapport with you know another person then the idea of not knowing everything or you know making a, a negligible mistake um, the repercussions of that seem seem that much less and that much diminished. And it's it's definitely a practiced 
thing. And, and I love like, you know, I'm lucky, you know, so to know folks like yourself, all lots of our, our peer group that are mm-hmm. kind of in the industry and you watch and, and that's a big thing is like kind of watching how they've gone through that. And every once in a while you see someone come up and you know, they're, they're four years in still talking, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> But it, you see it play out, and that's the funny thing is, I over time you, I don't get more jaded. I get more sure that my anecdotal, you know, proof is is adding up to real data over life. That the more you listen, you know, the better you learn, you know. And it, it, when you do speak, it's it's from a place of trust and knowledge versus like you know, help, help, help. You know, look at me. I, I'm okay, you know, like you, and that's kind of part of the imposter syndrome thing too, is I found is that first thing is you're immediately defending the reason you're there and, and you don't, at some point you, you internally, you still do that, but externally you don't feel the need to because you're like, I, it's worked out so far and, and I think I'm getting okay at it. Uh, and also as an eighth, there's a great book. It's called the four agreements. Uh, it's for, I recommend this all the time to everybody. It's called, it's Don Miguel Ruiz who did this and, and the four agreements, you know, uh, one of them, you know, is, is this one that says, don't take anything personally. And what that means is not just like, Oh, someone says, Conrad, that, that was a bad thing you said there. Like, yeah, you should be careful around that. And you, you would internalize that for the next, you know, if you're like me, you know, maybe 10 years. <laughs> and right. It's stuck on there. Like, but it's, Minimal. Also, yeah, exactly. but it's not just, you don't take it personally as in don't let negative feedback get you down. But there's the other side of it. If someone says, and that was, that was really amazing what you said there. And like, you just say, thank you. And like, wipe it. Like, don't, don't let it bump your ego to, you've got to like, just stay very, very level. And, and I love that, that thing. It's tough to do because especially early on, you do kind of enjoy and someone says, Hey, I, I really enjoyed your talk. And the first thing you think is like, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> but you know, a year or two later after doing it repeatedly, you're like, well, what exactly did you take away from it that you enjoyed? and immediately go back to listening mode. And, and I find that makes it easier to kind of ground yourself and get away from the, you know, bumping yourself up or down, you know, as you take that feedback. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I sometimes take feedback uh, slightly differently. So, you know, when someone says, Oh my God, Conrad, you know, you knocked it out of the park. Great job. You know, I think my first gut response that I try to be better at is, you know, my first response is normally like, oh, you know, I'm glad it didn't turn out terrible or, oh, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal or, oh, you know, whatever. I try to, you know, I think my gut response from however long ago is just to try to deflect a little bit um, where, You're you know. You're Canadian in the how you do that. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only thing you didn't leave with was, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it could have been better. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, you know, and I, I read recently uh, maybe not that recently, and I don't even remember where, but that, you know, anytime someone gives you a compliment or they give you some sort of positive feedback, you know, just, just say thank you. You know, like they are taking the time out of their day to, to give you a compliment. So, you know, bare minimum, just accept that they, you know, appreciate something that you have done and just start off with thank you. Um, and I, I try to be better at that. <laughs> I'm still not great at that. Um, but, you know, the other thing you were talking about with, with just dealing with imposter syndrome and, you know, 
know, just these feelings. I think uh, part of it is just understanding that it's something that exists, you know, and understanding that it's something that you are not, you don't solely have just by yourself and you're the only person dealing with it. I think, um, at least for me, you know, I, I, I said I had those feelings, you know, when I first moved into the VAR and the partner space. And then, you know, a friend or a colleague of mine said, you know, mentioned it, you know, imposter syndrome. And I was like, I kind of filed it in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, what's that? I need to check that out. And then I, you know, started looking into it a bit more. And I was like, oh my God. And just the like understanding that it's a thing kind of helped me kind of curb those feelings because then I understood those feelings a little bit better. Yeah, it's and that's a it's a very it's a tough self-realization. I mean, if you look in a I mean, you go into any modern well I say modern bookstore, they don't think there is a modern bookstore. Modern bookstore is Amazon. But if you go to a physical bookstore, old school bookstore, you know, the self-help section is only rivaled by the fiction section. And some may say that they both have the same amount of truth to them, right? It's it's really, really tough when you walk in there, like, why are there thousands of books on this? Because it's sometimes it takes a little bit a little bit of pushing, you know, but when you do discover it and you do kind of go like, Ooh, okay, I'm not, uh, I get this. Like, if this makes sense to me, um, like you said, I, I mean, I did the classic thing I led with like, here's imposter syndrome. So let's talk about how you break it. And you're like, well, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Where do you find it? You know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. It really is. And I even remember, um, you know, again, when I, kind of first heard about imposter syndrome uh, a friend or a colleague or I don't even remember who said it but you know someone said something along the lines of you know in our industry in IT anyone who's worth anything has imposter syndrome and for like a decent amount of time like I you know whether it's because my friend said it or a colleague said it or whoever said it I don't know if that's why but it kind of like took root in me a little bit and I was kind of thought that way and it hasn't even been until like recently where I just thought you know that's that's really that's really kind of like ridiculous and kind of messed up because if if you rephrase it differently then you know you're saying that the only people who are worth anything in IT are people who get stressed and have anxiety about their accomplishments <laughs> and yeah. when it's rephrased like that you're just like man that's a really mean and not nice thing to say and so i uh i've i've kind of stopped saying that myself because it's just not right you're almost like wishing that that those kinds of feelings on people in a way and i don't think that's that's right at all <laughs> Yeah, there's kind of two sides of it. One is like, just, just you, you don't have imposter syndrome. Just wait, kid, it's coming. You know. Yeah. And then the other thing is like, it's that's the perfect creation. Like you've literally planted a seed of like, when you become strong about this, when you're very good at something, you'll get imposter syndrome. And the funny thing is, the you just think like. I don't have imposter syndrome or do I? I don't know. Should I? Maybe I'm not good at what I do. You literally have implanted imposter syndrome into somebody because they yeah. think I must not be good at what I do because I don't have this thing. Like you just got it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where can I get me some of that syndrome? You know, like nobody, I don't want that for anyone. Well, there's a real interesting wave of stuff that I've seen and I'm always torn. Like it's, it's a very positive thing in some ways, but it's also, it kind of, it 
it, it opened the doors a bit too wide sometimes. We talk a lot in our industry about anxiety and, and you know, burnout. Like, burnout's just kind of standard fare. And I don't mean to wash over it, but, like, hey, we've all hit it. Like, it's just a matter of, you know, how far it, it took you out. And, and we've got, I've got a lot of good friends that have kind of hit that wall. And, you know, my wife and I always had this discussion said, I, I haven't written a blog about burnout, so I feel like I'm not allowed to say I've got it. But I'm like, and I hit it all the time. And mm -hmm. it's just like anything, you know, as you kind of advance your stuff, you know, whether it's your personal skill level with something, your career, uh, you know, a sport you take up, like it's, it doesn't get easier. You just get become more confident in the ability to recover from it. And then at some point there's this weird mix where you're like, you take on way too much and then it becomes this paralysis moment where you're like, I've, I've got 20 things to do. And so I won't get any of them done because I'm don't know which one of the 20 to start with. Yeah. And you know, you, you bring up burnout and taking on, you know, too many tasks. And that is, um, you know, at least from, from my reading, I, you know, you and I, at least last time I checked, you and I aren't any kind of like psychologists or psychiatrists or any kind of mental health professional, but you know, from what I've read about um, imposter syndrome, you know, one of the ways that it can affect people is they feel not good enough to do you know their job or they feel not good enough compared to their colleagues and so they then take on far more than they can ever accomplish which then could lead to what you you know burnout so you know it can even affect stuff like that it's not even just you know the fear of being exposed or you know being taken down a notch or something like that it can just be the you know internal I'm not as good as my colleagues. I need to take on that much more to prove myself and that sort of thing. So um, there's all kinds of like different, I don't want to say weird, but just different aspects of imposter syndrome and like how it can affect people. And I just think it's, it's a really interesting topic and kind of like a lot of things. Um, and I guess our society, you know, anything that even remotely, remotely touches on the topic of, of mental health is only, you know, uh, talked about tangentially and in hush whispers and, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it's important that people do talk about it more and talk about, you know, not, not to be kumbaya, but do talk about their feelings more because it's important to, you know, everyone to know that they're not alone and that other people have, you know, the same types of feelings about this sort of thing. Yeah. The, I think the biggest thing we've, we've got to do is just that right like it's you know we we everybody faces a lot of these things and sharing those those conversations but also not making it it's 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 a tough because you expose yourself you know in kind of like you and you feel it like oh if i share this am i not going to get hired at my next job if i do a podcast about how i've got terrifying anxiety when i speak <laughs> Do you think I'm going to get invited back for a keynote? Like, well, you've hoped that I'm far enough down the line that they can look at previous work and realize that I've survived those anxiety moments. But I think it is, it is tough. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think you see it more, more of the conferences lately have kind of like they have a track or at least an, an area where they're like, Hey, here's some folks that are going to share some of the challenges we've had as personal growth. And that's why I love the personal productivity, personal growth stuff because it's, I find it's very meaningful, no matter what else people do, whether they're photographers, whether they're 
musicians, whether they're you know college students, whether they're systems administrators, cloud admins, developers, whatever it is, we've all got the same sort of levels of things that we bumped into. Whether it's you know, you know, like I said, burnout and and imposter syndrome and and job anxiety as you move through the ranks, and you know, where, what's next? You know, I, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Am I on the right path? All of those things. They play out in different, they manifest in each industry, in each track. Uh, so it's kind of neat that we can now look back over some of these more public stories and say like, yeah, here's somebody who's been very, very open about this, their, their challenges. Like, ah, uh, you can map it a bit to yourself and then not feel like you're, you're stuck. Oh yeah. I, yeah. And you know, you say that each of these, each industry has its own challenges and I, I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, I think that imposter syndrome, you know, although it is, I'm sure everywhere. And, uh, I, I read a stat that, you know, like 70% of people experience it. Um, even if it's just, you know, a temporary or small amount of imposter syndrome at some point in their life, you know, others might experience it more constantly. Uh, but you know, almost everyone, a large portion of people are going to experience it at some point. And I think that in our industry, in particular IT, I think it it's probably a bit more prevalent just because of, you know, A, how often technology changes and how often we are asked um, or we need to become, you know, a new expert at something. We need to add another tool to our tool belt. And, you know, with how often all of us seem to be changing jobs, you know, I think those types of factors really help fuel that sort of feeling of I maybe am not, you know, as good as what people are saying I am. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we, as we watch over the next few years, the funny thing is that it's really, none of these things are new too. And that's what I've gotten much more into in the last few years, especially the last, you know, particular year or so. I really got into kind of like the, how do you look at the data across years, months, years, you know, decades, and, and you know, this stuff all you go way back. You read about, you know, early philosophers and early psychological study, and the, the stuff is just playing out. This is, most of it's not new. What's new is the discovery of where it's mapped to. And, and so right. uh, I, there's a couple of the hard part I found, and this is one thing I've discovered recently too. When you share like, here's somebody who's like, this is kind of a very thing, good thing that works, you know, and you have to be kind of unemotional about some of the things. Cause you have to say like, Hey, this is going to be tough. Like you're, you're going to go through this and you'll get to a point in your career where you're going to be like, I don't know that I'm, I'm belong here. There's some pretty hard statements that you got to lay down in front of yourself to say like, well, this is how we're going to get through it. <laughs> and you have to be kind of unemotional about it because that's the only way you can get through it. You have to detach the, the, the negative and the positive and just say like, all right, here's some science to how people have gotten through this in the past. Okay. Stick to the plan. Here's the plan. Here's, I'm going to get through the next month. Here's the thing I'm going to do to get to my next through the next interviews. Like I've been through seven interviews and I haven't gotten a job yet. You know, is, is, am I looking for the wrong job or are they not looking, or am I the wrong person? Right. Then how do you set a sort of a scientific journey to get to the discovery of, you know, finding the, the right balance and mix of, of those things. So it's, but the hard part is 
I, especially technologists, we're the worst at this. We love science. We love data until it disagrees with our emotions. And we're like, that's garbage science. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there may be something to it. We just got to like uh, try and map it a little differently. Well, and yeah. And, you know, as you said, you need to be sort of like, take these things, you know, take a little bit of the emotion out of it and be, you know, logical and rational about it. And I think that's important too, because, you know, everyone's different. Everyone handles everything differently, um, especially from an emotional side. So, you know, I think it's important that, you know, when people do see that they have these types of, you know, feelings or, you know, insecurities or whatever you want to call them, that they take a moment to just sort of like logically and internally examine oneself to say, okay, you know, what is something uh, I'm doing that's causing these, or what is something that's happening that's causing these feelings? You know, is it something about learning new technology? Is it something about getting in front of customers? Is it, you know, interacting with colleagues or your boss or, you know, like what are these sort of trigger points, you know, to really internally examine yourself and then what am I doing that I didn't realize I was doing to try to, you know, irrationally compensate for these things. And I think, you know, a really good logical internal um, examination is really helpful. And the other thing that I saw can be really helpful, which I know you are passionate about is, is mentoring and, you know, uh, people who, you know, engage in mentor programs and are mentored and, you know, can share those sorts of experiences both up and down, um, you know, that can obviously help someone cope and deal with those types of feelings of insecurity as well. Yeah. And, and this, there's a, a really, really strong correlation, you know, in, you know, anecdotally and through data that's, that that's mm -hmm. been proven out. And I, I just love that I've been able to <clears throat> be involved in mentoring programs and, and, you know, like building uh, like a, a real sort of, you know, a, a neat program around it, but you know, while you're doing it, really just go ahead and do a thing like, Hey, you know, what can I help with? And, and that's what I find it's, there's a great book called the coaching habit. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of those ones that you should, everybody should read for themselves, let alone if they're, if they're managing peers or, or they're, they're a team lead or something like that. And, and just even the first two things that it leads with is one is how do you start a, a coaching session? So you just say like, Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah. And there's this immediate, you know, this immediate reaction is like you just unload the first thing that's actually at the top of your mind. You didn't go there with like, okay, what, what are we going to discuss in our session today? You know, here's the three things we want to cover. Like, no, no, just like, what, so what's on your mind? And then they say something and like, oh, okay, cool. And then the next one is, uh, they call it the awe question, A-W-E, and what else? And so it kind of like pulls you a bit further, like, is there more on that subject or is there a secondary subject that's actually underneath it? And and doing that in mentoring has really been the thing because I find people that come into a mentoring experience or a conversation, they say like, okay, I want to get a new job. Like, okay, cool. So, and what else is like, what's the, what, what drove you to that decision? You know, and you feel like a psychologist, you're like, look, you zero, just give me the answers. You're like, no, I, I can't give you the answers. What I can do is I can give you a bunch of really cool questions that you're going to ask. <laughs> right. 
you're going to find those answers. I'm not going to be like, here's the seven things you do and here's how we're going to do it. And we're going to write it together. Like, no, no, we're, we're enabling you. We're creating your capability to, we're giving you a toolkit. I'm not giving you the, just a, a stock standard list of things that are going to work. I'm like, we got to find the toolkit that's going to work for you. And, and that's why I love the mentoring is fun because you test it very much. So they're repetitive things at work, but you have to really map it to that personal experience with that, that where they've come from and, and where they're going. And so it's neat to see it all play out. Yeah. And even, you know, and I love everything you just said. And I think it even, you can almost boil it down just a bit more is it's just like, talking to people, you know, like just talking to people. And, you know, we in IT get so excited about everything in IT and all the cool technologies and, you know, what's coming out next and roadmaps and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. But we often don't talk about where we fit as like actual human beings and all of those mechanisms and cogs and in India industry. So, you know, I, I think that really plays in well with what you were just saying of, the human experience and what we want and how we feel about sort of this whole human experience, so to speak. What also it's really neat is, is when you, when you get involved in peer mentoring and, and you, what they don't realize the, the other person in that room who thinks that they're winning. I'm like, dude, I am the one who's really, I, I, I take away so much more from those conversations and even these, like they just, spending time with you today like it it makes me kind of like okay why did i what what was really cool and what reminded me about what i got to do like it, it really opens up and these conversations are the most powerful thing even like just as podcast as an example right it started off like here's the three things we're going to have there's going to be a nine minute segment on each we're going to transition this way like you try and kind of script out where it's going to go then the first question you ask you're like it steers into this neat tangent and kind of early thoughts was like bring it back to the subject we got to get to question two they're like no i'm like oh no we're gonna run this one out <laughs> yeah, we this is what matters it was the conversation it's not like well that's a great point but let's get back to the first question that we really need to answer and like yeah we were going somewhere you know that's what mentoring is it's like it may take you in directions that you didn't even realize and and going through that kind of conversational journey it's a neat sort of self-discovery you do as you're helping somebody else yeah. And, you know, these types of conversations too, for me, like really get me um, excited and pumped about kind of like uh, being better, you know, like growing myself, leveling up myself to, you know, be better in, in some way, shape or form. And uh, so I've really learned to really appreciate these conversations because I think for a long time, um, you know, I, I work from home predominantly. So I don't often see colleagues um, in, you know, normal types of settings. So uh, recently I've sort of gone out of my way to have just kind of free form conversations with people about, you know, how they're doing, what they're liking, what they're, you know, having fun with, what they're excited about. And I feel like anytime I have this type of conversation, it just really gets me jazzed about going out there and just, you know, messing some stuff up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pumped. I'm like, Lily, I've got a day full of meetings ahead. And I was like, 
oh, this is going to be horrifying. I'm like, no, man, I'm ready. I'm, I'm like, uh, you, 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 it does energize you to kind of remind you of why you do it. Now, working from home, that was a neat thing. I wanted to touch on that too because I've, I've worked remotely now for, for quite a while. And, and it, does, it does kind of change the dynamic of things. You know, I go into the office and it's like super high energy and I love it. We have great immediate like high touch conversations. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, hey, good to see you. There's a, there's a real excitement that grows. And then you go back and then you carry that excitement for a while. And then after, if you're not physically around people or you're not that's why i do video conferences you know like every day i'm minimum two video meetings and 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 it helps i just found that even changes the the dynamic when they're watching you you know and you can see it too when you watch people in a meeting and we always call it out we've got a thing that i do in my team if you see somebody typing you see their eyes like scrolling back and forth and like i see you're reading (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, stay in the meeting, stay in the meeting. And it's funny because we, we've made it almost a joke to like call each other out. You're like, when you see an email that comes from one of the people that's in the room you're with and you're like, what? <laughs> this is not the time to be multitasking. But yeah. uh, how did you find the, like the, what, what was the honeymoon period of working remotely? And, and when did you kind of say like, ooh, I got to do some work to make this really feel right? Um, I think, I think going into it, um, I kind of had certain, I guess, expectations about what was going to not be fun about it and what I was going to have to really work at and what I was going to really enjoy about it. So I think going into it, I kind of helped mitigate some of those risks, so to speak, um, of working from home by just, you know, trying to be more uh, regimented with, you know, when I'm working, how I work, uh, those sorts of things. And also, you know, enjoy the the pros of working from home, which is, you know, being at home, being able to eat my own food, being able to, you know, hang out with my dog or my wife if she's home and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, but it definitely is a different mindset. The thing that I, I think, that hit me the hardest and something I didn't even realize was affecting me until within the last year was again, those and this kind of conversation that we're having, you know, uh, because I was working from home. Um, I live in the Midwest and my company is based in the Northwest, you know, like Washington, Seattle. So it's not really like an option for me to just like drive into the office. Um, <laughs> it's not even ever. an option. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's it's just not possible. So um, it wasn't until like this past year that I realized how important it is for me to, you know, set aside time to just have these sort of like colleague conversations, not about work, not about any particular project, but just about how we're doing, what's, you know, bothering them, what are they excited about? You know, just these types of conversations that get me, you know, excited and energized to, you know, help me push through the next, you know, weeks or months or however long I need to, you know, that carry that energy with me because it's important. And for a long time, I didn't even realize that I was um, missing it in a way until I, you know, then got it back. And I was like, holy cow, this is, this is it. You know, this was that extra little fuel I needed to, to be successful. 
it the if I think of the mentoring examples yeah, and and peer working everything I've I've found this the most profound relationships like are are had not by what you do together but what you each do differently outside of what you do together that also maps right so it's I I'm a cyclist I'm a musician and so you find that all of a sudden you're you're chatting with somebody who you've worked with for six years remotely. And then you're like, you, you, you look in the background of their video and you see a guitar and you're like, oh, hey, you play guitar? And that's it. You've really, really amped up that kind of personal connection. And yeah. then it, that carries, that really changes. So I love like having those. So, you know, what, how long have you, you know, where'd you go to school? Like just ask here and there. You can't make it like, you know, so here's the 10 point questionnaire. I'm going to ask you about what you've done up to now. Uh, like it's, right, it's, it's not an interview. <laughs> Right. But even so during interview processes, I find myself asking like, hey, what's, you know, probably on the wrong side of human resources law. I don't know. But like, you know, what's what kind of stuff excites you outside of of, of what your job is, you know, and and what you find is you very quickly discover they they do photography, they do something. There's always a creative aspect and, and you can kind of like, Oh, neato. I also do that. And like, Oh, you find out people, they're bloggers, they, they're social media people, whatever. Yeah. And I love, you know, finding those things because it increases the personal connection that you have through that working relationship. And, uh, Ray Dalio is a great, uh, you know, uh, he's wrote a book called principles and, and, the thing that he always loves that he pulls out that I love is I want to seek, you know, meaningful work and meaningful relationships. And those two things come by, you know, Hey, I work remotely and yet I still have very, very strong connections with my, my peers and my team and, and other people in my management team and throughout the company. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's possible, but it's a different dynamic and you definitely got to be ready for it. Well, and you have to work at it a little bit, you know, it's, it's not something that happens as organically at that point, you know, like I have to, um, you know, specifically to schedule time with, you know, different colleagues and just say, Hey, let's just schedule some time and let's catch up. And, you know, it's, it's, whereas, you know, if I went into the office, it would just sort of happen naturally, you know, whether we went to lunch or whether we went to, you know, a happy hour right after work or, you know, something like that, you know, I need to, um, I don't want to say force myself, but it needs to be a conscious decision to go out and, you know, have these conversations with people to, to build that connection and to, you know, get pumped and energized about whatever it is I want or need to be pumped or energized about. Yeah. It, <clears throat> one of the techniques I've used and I've found it's, it's worked for me and uh, is number one, one hour meetings are dangerous. Uh, so I kind of crunched them down to th- and I started going down to 30 minutes, but then you found it was very task-based. It was just like, here's the thing we're going to talk about. We have the minimum discussion points. Okay, here's your, your everybody has stuff that you've got to do coming out of it. We review. Okay, boom. And that's it. And yeah. the hard part is then you can immediately back it with another 30-minute meeting, which is super non-productive. But, but <laughs> so what I do is, is then I create, I make 45-minute meetings. So there's no way to back it into another meeting. And also... I can get all the stuff done in 30 minutes. I purposefully finish the stuff and summarize at like minute 29. And then a couple of people will leave the room maybe because they got another thing or whatever. They're doubled booked. And then you say like, Hey, so how are things going there? And, and just almost like that coaching question of like, Hey, yeah. what's on your mind? 
And then it just is like, oh, okay, forget about the last half hour. We've talked about this project that we're working on. Like, what's so what's happening? You know? And it's like, oh yeah, it's been busy. I'm just we're buying a new house, whatever. And like, ah, boom, <laughs> that's where it begins. Yeah, I haven't. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought about that before too. And you know, I can see how with a forty-five minute meeting. Or even just with a 30 minute meeting versus an hour, you know, it's all about kind of like managing everyone's expectations. So, you know, as you said, for the people who, you know, you finish at minute 29, they're walking out, they're double booked, they got stuff to do. It's fine. You know, not a big deal. Everyone has stuff to do. But then for the people who don't have that meeting following it, it's sort of like free time for them. So why not hang out? Why not, you know, utilize that time to, to talk about whatever? It just makes yeah. it just makes so much sense because it's like it's almost like in someone's mind it's almost like free time they just got back. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Here I've, I've literally recovered time you didn't realize you had, and then they feel very open about how they use it, and it's very relaxing when yeah. you like. It's it's a weird it's a psychological thing, but hey, that's how it all works, right? Like that's this is what we've talked about for the past while, right? Is these are these are core fundamentals of, of psychological behavior that you can unpack in ways that are super helpful, you know. And and so I love that. It's again, it's personally, it's worked for me, and I found that it takes time, it takes practice, you know. Uh, you know, I sometimes I call them the the Columbo meeting, where at the very end you're like, oh, uh, oh, one more thing, you know, and <laughs> and you just bring up a separate subject or bring up something. So it's, you're, you're actually closing the meeting, but you're conversationally carrying into the next thing. So it, it's a nice reset. You can't just, there, there has to be a very purposeful way you do it. And it takes practice to do it. I even I'm do it sure. in, in conversations when we're at, at tech shows, I always talk about the, the closeout conversation because it's really hard to end an un, in an unending meeting like if you just bump into somebody and you have to get somewhere and you don't want to say i gotta go because that's kind of rude you can say like hey so when are you driving when are you driving home how you 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 far from here whatever and you get them to kind of share a thing that's about exiting and it's a weird thing you're like you're like so when do you fly back you know how long have you been how you know how's the show been so far <laughs> right you're literally disconnecting from that conversation with a very short specific thing and yeah. it immediately just frees them to be like oh okay okay well i'm gonna get going then all right cool thanks man you know and like that's you're like instead of i have to leave this conversation now because i have to get on to another one that's not actually starting yet <laughs> yes and it's uh and it's a bit easier to do that and have those conversations closers than just stare at each other before one person walks away <laughs> Especially as technology, uh, I won't say this, uh, quite often technologists are, have a very different way of socializing. Right? It's anybody has. Like, we're very introverted. I'm a yeah. professional extrovert. I'm an introvert by nature. So being able to learn how other people that haven't learned how to be professional extroverts, you know, get, in, get involved in a conversation and yeah, and they just... It's a very kind of weird... It's fun. It's really fun because you see people kind of like they feel free they have great conversations and, and then they get sort of better at jumping around. It's, it's been fun. Hey, with that, I do, I got to wrap up. We got, we got to get, get, you know, get you back to work, get me back to work. This is real work time, but uh, Hey, thanks Conrad. This has been a blast. Uh, how do hey, folks find you 
online again. Uh, and again, you know, VNoob is something you've, you've, you've long outlived, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work. I highly Thank recommend you. find you online. So where do we do that? Uh, I'm Connor Ramos and you can find me normally on Twitter. Uh, my, my username is VNoob, V-N-O-O-B, or my website at VNoob.com. And with that, folks, again, you know, search out Conrad. Remember, this is, this is powerful stuff. You know, we've, you know, the things we learn from, from these conversations. Hey, we're not alone. This is kind of cool. So thanks very much for sharing. Of course. Happy to. You're listening to Today's Cool Palsy Podcast.